Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle and this week our murderess is one who I believe should be known as one of the true last samurai. Her name is Nakano Takeko and she taught, formed, and led a one-woman army against overwhelming imperial forces. Her tale is one of tragedy and bravery and she actually died in battle at age 21. So her story is a really interesting one that I'm looking forward to talking about today. I had a lot of fun researching her and just finding out more about this person who I had absolutely no idea existed in history. So, she was born in April 1847 in Edo, which was the previous name for Tokyo, Japan. Her father was a samurai official named Nakano Hainai, and her mother was Nakano Koko, and she was the daughter of another samurai who was employed in service. Quick note, it seems like the family name was actually Nakano, and the first name came second. So, our woman that we're talking about, Nakano Takeko, her first name was actually Takeko. So, she was the oldest of three and had a younger brother, Toyoki, and a younger sister, Yuko. She was described as being good-looking and well-educated, and had the benefit of being the oldest daughter in a well-known and powerful samurai family. When she was around six until she was 16, she went through vigorous training for martial arts, literature, and calligraphy. She ended up being adopted by her teacher, Akeoka Daisukek. And I am so sorry, I know these pronunciations are probably not what they should be. I am doing my very best. So her instructor was famous in their own right, and it actually led to Takeko to to becoming a teacher herself, and she educated those who were younger than her in the school. Supposedly, she loved to read stories about Japanese female warriors, generals, and empresses. She was able to find work at a lord's estate, where she taught the lord's wife, Naginata, which was a pole-type fighting style that she was expert in, and also worked as her secretary. Around 1863, the nation of Japan was going through a lot of social unrest. Takeko's adoptive father was working in Kyoto for security reasons and tried to get her to marry his nephew, but she refused and preferred to return to her biological family at this difficult and dangerous time. Now, it talks about how this a teacher of hers adopted her. I'm not sure if it's like adoption as how we think of in this day and age or more of took her on as his protege. It's not really specific with how the word adopted is used in this context. So I'm just kind of assuming that it was more of she became his protege and his uh, assistant and she left her family at that time to go and live with him and work with him. But during this social unrest, she decided to return home. When she did return home, she taught Nagi to women and children in the city of Aizu, and she also worked catching peeping toms in the women's bathroom. And apparently that's been happening since forever in the beginning of time. Men deciding to go and try and sneak in or take a peek at women's washrooms or bathrooms. And I added this as just an editor's note while I was researching and writing my little script, but this lady sounds freaking amazing and I'm loving everything about her and her story so far. I mean this, she's probably in one of my favorite top stories that we've covered on this podcast. At the height of Takeko's martial arts career, the Boshin War was happening. Uh, the Boshin War is also known as the Japanese Revolution. So quick history lesson. This war was between supporters of the Tokugawa shogunate and the advocates of the Meiji Emperor 
who wanted him restored. So the shogunate was a quote-unquote feudal military government, which basically means that it was a way of structuring society around relationship that came from holding land in exchange for service or labor. So under this shogunate uh, government in Japan was more isolated and didn't really welcome foreigners to the country at all. It was very much a government based on cultural tradition. The Meiji Emperor, however, wanted to expand Japan from an isolationist country to an industrialized country, and he was supported by a lot of the more Western countries who wanted to use Japan for trade and travel. In my completely unprofessional opinion, the most basic summary seems like it can be said that this war was between keeping a traditional way of living and ruling in Japan versus modernizing Japan, with the shogunate on the traditional side and the Meiji Emperor on the modernization side. So during this war, Takeko was on the traditional side with the shogun, and I think this was because as part of a adoption to more Western or modernizing ideals, the Meiji Emperor would get rid of the samurai tradition and culture. So despite how skilled and accomplished that she was as a fighter, officials did not allow women to fight in battles. Takeko decided that she wasn't going to let that stop her, and formed her own army of female warriors to fight in battles alongside the traditional army. This female army was composed of Takeko's mother and sister, Koko and Yuko, along with around 14 other women. One of these women was another famous female warrior, Yamamoto Yeiko. Takeko was designated the leader of this army. Interesting fact was that during the Boshin War, the shogun actually surrendered in April of 1868. However, loyalists to the cause and their old way of living continued to rebel. The female army, which was known retroactively as the Joshitai, retreated to the other with the other rebels to the town of Aizu. At Aizu, many of the women refused to be taken alive, preferring to die in battle or kill themselves after having killed their children. The Meiji army was one to raise the ground and leave no man standing behind, and any woman caught would be sold to the western foreigners who helped back them. So, instead of being caught, many women preferred death. The Joshitai women, with Takeko as their leader, fought to hold off the Meiji army on different battlefronts, protecting the Aizu castle and allowing people in the area to head there for refuge, until eventually the gates themselves had to close for protection as the fighting got closer. Due to misinformation, the Joshitai ended up outside of those castle gates. They had been led to believe that one of the princesses had fled the castle and was taking refuge in a nearby area called Bange, B-A-N-G-E. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. However, when they arrived in Bange, they found that the princess had not actually left the Aizu castle, and when they began to return to the castle, they ended up joining forces with the Aizu Cannon Brigade. Originally, the leader of this brigade refused to work with the Joshitai. He did not want the female army to make his brigade look bad. And as a response, Takeko threatened to disembowel herself right there and then if they refused to let them fight together. And others who were higher up on the ladder of leadership told the brigade leader to let the Joshitai fight with them. They ended up collaborating and decided that they should try to take out some of the Imperial Army leaders who had claimed the Yanagi Bridge. The Yanagi Bridge was also called the Bridge of Tears because of the amount of executions that had taken place there. The night before the battle, Takeko and her mother, along with some of the other women in the army, discussed what to do with Takeko's younger sister, Yuko. Yuko was fighting along with her mother and her sister, and she was 16 years old at the time. She was also extremely pretty, and the women were 
worried about her fate if she was to be captured. Eventually, they decided to take Yuko with them and collectively keep an eye on her. None of the women there planned to survive the battle and promised that they would kill Yuko before themselves out of mercy if it came down to it. The battle began early on an October morning. Plan was to send the female army in first as a straightforward attack along with some peasant volunteers, and then have the cannon brigade attack them from two different sides. Female army knew going into it that this would be a suicide attack, hence why none of them were planning on surviving after. When the enemy commander realized that it was an army of females charging them from the front, he halted fire in order not to kill them. This order was quickly rescinded as the female army tore through their ranks. Takeko herself killed around five to six men, and those who witnessed and survived the battle described her as fighting, quote, like a demon before the enemy army opened fire once again and she was shot in the chest. She would have died from that. However, Takeko didn't want the enemy army to use her body as a war trophy. So... She asked her sister to cut off her head and give her an honorable burial. It's not clear whether they had this agreement before Takeko got shot or if this was her last dying request. When she ended up shot, 16-year-old Yuko attempted to fulfill this task, but she was too exhausted to do it. It's not said whether she was emotionally, physically, a mixture of the both, but she needed the help of either her mother or an Aizu warrior fighting on their side to help complete the task. Yuko and her mother ended up surviving this battle, and after, Yuko took Takeko's head to a nearby temple and had it buried with honor by the priest under a pine tree. Takeko's weapon was also donated to the temple, as her sister had taken that from the battlefield as well. This burial actually stands to this day at the Hokai Temple, and it remains as a symbol for, quote, those who refuse to go quietly. Part of the reason that we have so much information about what happened during the war is because Yuko survived it. There's actually a really rare late-in-life picture of her that the website Rejected Princesses was able to find, and I have it sourced on my website as well if you're interested in seeing it. The Meiji Emperor ended up being returned to power, and soon after, the samurai class was removed and replaced instead with a western-style national army. This makes Nakano Takeko one of the last official samurai to have existed in Japan. A monument to Takeko was made, which was a sculpture of her standing with a sword, and it stands beside her grave at the temple. And that is the brave and tragic story of Nakano Takeko. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I would love to know what you thought of it, so feel free to reach out to me at frumiusreads, F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S. You can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you just want to give me suggestions for future women that you would like to hear covered on this podcast, reach out to me on the social media that I mentioned, or you can go to the podcast homepage at frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair and leave suggestions either through the contact page or in a comment below this episode. Make sure you subscribe or listen to the podcast on whatever streaming platform you choose. We are on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podbreed, Libsyn, and basically anywhere that you can listen to podcasts in general. All right, that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Stay spooky, friends. Goodbye.